Good morning. <laughs> Hello. Nice. <laughs> nice to see so many of you here this morning. This little bit of a dreary day. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Judy Myers. I use she and her pronouns and I am the officiant today. Opening words this morning are a poem by Lucille Clifton entitled Homage to My Hips. These hips are big hips. They need space to move around in. They don't fit into little petty places. These hips are free hips. They don't like to be held back. These hips have never been enslaved. They go where they want to go. They do what they want to do. These hips are mighty hips. These hips are magic hips. I have known them to put a spell on a man and spin him like a top. Welcome to everyone for our multimedia platform. Whether you're here in the hall, watching on Zoom, or catching the recording later. We're one community, community unified across time and space, gathering to affirm our values and commit to a better world. If you're on Zoom, please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Paul Baker, today's Zoom chat usher. If you're here in the hall and would like an assistive listening device, please ask the sound team at the back Visitors, if you're here in person, please stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. And those of you who are visiting online now or later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo at M-A-C-E-O-T, Maceot at ethicalsociety.org, or to fill out a connection form, which you can find on our website at tiny.cc slash westconnects. And I will now, through the magic of uh, technology, read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the Zoom chat. Folks joining in virtually can use this time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. So let me see what we have. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we got a couple of things here. Ooh, hold on, gotta go way back up. <laughs> uh, Robin says, Robin Kravitz, good morning, y'all. I am so bummed I couldn't make it in the building today. Sick kiddo, but I'm looking forward to seeing everyone next week. And Cynthia Goodman says, good morning to all. Sue Smith, good morning, all. When, well, it's got an interesting version of Nielsen. Anyway, um, good morning, good morning, Joni, Johnny and Wayne, I'm sorry. Uh, Margaret Conway, yay, says good morning. It's nice to see people who haven't seen it in a while. Shirley Storms, good morning, Wes. And Karen schofield Liga. good morning, everyone. Joining this morning from Pennsylvania. Rajesh says, hi, everyone. Happy Lunar New Year. Ha. Uh, Denise Howell, good morning all. Thanks to Pat and Joseph for doing a streaming. I'm enjoying relaxing on my couch for platform today. <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, Shirley Storm says, 
Good morning again. Um, Karen says, like Denise, John also appreciates tech team pals covering the work today so he can be away and still listen in. Um, bum, bum, bum. Um, Sue Jacobson says, good morning, everyone. Alice. Um, good morning from sunny, icy London. Mm. Welcome, Alice. Glad to see and hear you. No, let's see. Glad you're here. That's what I mean. <laughs> okay. Um, let us find out where we are. So that it is wonderful to be together and to, even though we are far apart. Okay, so. And it is always good to connect and share this time together. This morning's opening music is a song by Libby Roderick called How Could Anyone, performed by Leah Morris. Good morning, Wes. It is once again a pleasure to be here with you. I'm Leah, and I'm going to be sharing songs today that I hope will lend themselves to singing together. So as soon as they're familiar, and this one is probably already familiar to you, I hope that we'll be singing these songs together this morning. This is a song by Libby Roderick called How Could Anyone? I'll deeply feel the to my soul. 
Uh, good way to start. Welcome once again. Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash readSOP. You can read it here in person, as we'll see in a moment, or make a recording that will be included in a future platform, despite the fact that uh, it's a little hard to light the candle that way. So today's reader is Laura Briskin Limehouse. And here is, come on up. <laughs> The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much, Laura. And as Laura lights our community candle, I invite those of you with candles at home to light yours and for everyone here to join us in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Our senior leader, Casey Slack, will present today's story for all ages. Good morning, everybody. Our story for all ages today is Beautiful Me, written by Nabella Noor with illustrations from Nabi H. Ali. You'll be able to see the illustrations on the slides, thanks to Abby Dakin, who uh, found the images so that I don't have to try to show you a book from this far away. Salam. My name is Zubi Chaudhry. Yesterday, I woke up before the sun. I knew it was going to be a special day. It was my first day of school. I put on my blue overalls and pink shirt with the fancy puffy sleeves. Amma had it made just for me in Bangladesh. I twisted my hair into two pigtails with my lucky butterfly clips and slid on my bangles. I ran to my parents' room to show them my first day outfit. Baba was helping Amma wrap her yellow sari around her body. She looked so beautiful, like sunshine and mango lassies. Oof, Amma said, look at this tummy. I'm getting too big. Why was Amma so sad? Good morning, Darima. Subo shoko, Zubi, Darima corrected. Remember to practice your Bangla. My big sister Naya buzzed into the kitchen like a busy bee. Can I have oatmeal instead, Dadima? Oatmeal? Naya hates oatmeal. 
Why don't you want the parathas I made for you? Darima asked. My tummy cheered as I smelled the flaky, buttery bread in front of me. How could she say no to parathas? Naya shrugged. I'm on a diet. I want to lose weight so I can look pretty in time for the school dance. Naya is the most beautiful person I know. She is funny and smart and sweet as Ladus. That's my favorite dessert. Why would she say she's not pretty? I want to look good for my first day of school. Should I go on a diet too? Baba popped his head into the kitchen and jingled his keys. Girls, let's get going. Why haven't you worn the shirt I bought you for Eid? Dadima asked Baba. Baba laughed and patted his belly. I put on some pounds, Ma. I am up to a large now. Not good. Why was large not good? I grabbed my backpack. I gave my kitten, Kulfi, a big kiss and rushed out the door. My teacher is amazing. We did crafts and learned new songs and took a tour of the library all before lunchtime. I even made a new friend. Her name is Karima. At recess, some kids hop like bunnies. Some kids run faster than race cars. Some kids climb all the way to the sun. Alex, you look fat in that dress. Alex looks beautiful in their silk dress. It shines like the sun, but Kennedy doesn't sound like she's giving a compliment. Why is looking fat bad? Do I look fat in my overalls? When we get home from school, Mama was waiting for me. How was your first day, Zuby? I thought about what happened during recess. Uh, it was fine. Amma spent the rest of the afternoon cooking. Dadima helped by chopping onions and vegetables. The house smelled delicious. When we sat down for dinner, I was so excited to eat the kabar. No rice for me, thanks, Amma, Naya said. No rice? Naya loves rice. Oh yeah, I forgot. Naya was on a diet. I thought about large not being good. I thought about Ama, Naya, and Alex. If they are not beautiful, how could I be? Maybe I need to change too. Zubijan, don't you want any rice and chicken? It's your favorite, Ama said. I'm on a diet. A diet? Ama looked confused. Zubi, you shouldn't be on a diet. Naya said, you have to be on a diet to be pretty, I said. And I want to be pretty. Why would you think that, Zubi? You are beautiful. But you told Baba your tummy was too big and you were sad. And Baba said large is not good. Then at recess, Kennedy teased Alex for looking fat in their dress. I don't want kids to make fun of me too. I ran to my room and shut the door. My heart felt like it was crying. Maybe it wasn't a special day like I'd thought. Zubi, Baba said, sometimes when people are feeling sad or hurting inside, they try to make other people feel the same way. That might be why Kennedy was mean to your friend. I never thought about someone, why someone would be mean before. But sometimes we can be mean to ourselves without even realizing it. 
And when we hurt ourselves, we hurt the people we love and who love us. That's what we did today, and we're sorry. Yes, Amma said, you saw me being unkind to my tummy, but I'm grateful for my belly. After all, it helped me carry you and bring you into the world. I'm sorry too, said Naya. It's hard not to compare myself to other people, but I'd rather be me, your sister, than anybody else. Do you know why we named you Zubi? Amma asked. I shook my head and sniffled. We named you Zubi because it means loving and understanding. And we knew you would make the world more beautiful just by being Zubi. I don't even know what beautiful means anymore, I admitted. You get to define what is beautiful. Whatever your body looks like, beauty is how you make people feel and the kinds of things you do. A beautiful person is someone who embraces who they are and helps others to do the same. There is only one Zubi, and that makes you beautifully you. I can make the world more beautiful? Yes, Zubijan. Then you are all beautiful, I told Amma and Naya and Baba, just the way you are. I gave them a big, big hug. Thank you for reminding us of that, Naya whispered to me. Later, Amma tucked me into bed and kissed me goodnight. Through the window, the moon and the stars smiled down at me. Everything was beautiful. It was a special day after all. My name is Zubi, and that means loving and understanding. I am one of a kind, and that makes me beautifully me. There is only one you, and that makes you beautifully you. Today is my second day of school, and I am on a mission to make the world a bit more Zubi. Thank you. Wonderful story. Each week, we ring a chime in solidarity with people around the world. And today I'm particularly mindful of those who are not able to see themselves as beautiful and who fight every day to convince the world, themselves, and all of their internal and external beauty. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love.
now invite you into a centering time, meditation, focus, relaxation if you need. Sit in whatever way feels most comfortable and grounding for you. Stand up if that feels better. It's okay, no judgment here. You might stretch a little bit, mindful of if there are people near you. And just let yourself take a moment to fully arrive. You might want to take some big, deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. You might want to close your eyes or relax your focus. And as you do this, if it feels comfortable and good to you, I want you to pay attention to your body. Just as it is sitting here, being a body, pumping blood through your veins, holding you up, muscles engaged that let you sit in a chair, feet on the floor, hips in the chair, being held up by the earth, the ground below us. As you breathe and give this attention to your body, try to extend some love to it. Maybe your body hurts today. That's pretty common. Try to find the spots that hurt and remind them that they are a valued part of the whole system that is you. Maybe it's hard to pay attention to your body at all. If that's what you experience, maybe love is a bit of a stretch. Try to extend neutrality to your body. Not feeling bad, not feeling good, feeling simply like your body is here and that that is enough. You might breathe in and consider for a moment the strange miracle of being anything at all. the ridiculous number of unlikely things that happened between the beginning of the universe and now that allows you to have a body and know about it. A profoundly strange experience. I invite you to sit and breathe and Give your body whatever acknowledgement it needs in the silence and the music that follows in wonder at the strange miracle of being anybody at all.
When this chant becomes familiar, I invite you to sing along. Just as you are without changing a thing, just as you are, I accept you. I see you, I hear you, I welcome you in just as you are. Just as you are, just as you are without changing a thing, just as you are, I accept you. I see you, I hear you, I welcome you in, just as you are, just as you are. Just as you are without changing a thing, just as you are, I accept you. I see you, I hear you, I welcome you in, just as you are, just as you are. So lovely, and it's fun to sing along, even if you're just at home singing to yourself. This morning's reading is from Why I've Chosen Body Liberation Over Body Love by Jess Baker. Body love comes with responsibility. It, in essence, holds you responsible for your willpower or lack thereof. It puts the onus on you to master the ability to unlearn old lies. It binds us with the opposite requirements of self-hatred, but it's still binding us. When we tell each other to love your body and with the implication that if you don't, you just need to try harder. We're not necessarily empowering anyone. We're just regurgitating logic we learned from weight loss and from diet culture. Liberation is free from all outside expectations, even our own. Liberation is not having to love your body all the time. Liberation is not asking permission to be included in society's ideal of beauty. Liberation is bucking the concept of beauty as currency altogether. Liberation is recognizing the systemic issues that surround us and acknowledging that perhaps we're not able to fix them all on our own. 
Liberation is personally giving ourselves permission to live life. This Sunday, we're hearing from our senior leader, Casey Slack. Thank you, Judy. If you've been attending our platforms regularly this month, you have potentially heard the word fat more often than you might be used to. Our Share the Plate recipient this month is an organization called No Lose that is a collective of fat liberation You've only been hearing a little snippet about them each week, and it is possible that you have heard the word fat in that context and recoiled a little bit. It is possible that you are hearing me say fat repeatedly right now, and that is feeling a little bit uncomfortable. It is possible that if I stand here and I tell you that I am fat, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I am, and it's just a word. Fat is actually my preferred word to talk about the size and shape of my body. It is the preferred word for a lot of people who are invested in what Jess Baker calls body liberation, and I will more often call fat liberation. Why? Why fat? Why not overweight or obese? Why not big? I like big, too. Fat is a descriptive word. It's like tall or short or thin. It doesn't actually come with a value judgment unless you put one on it. Now, we live in a culture that has imbibed that word with deep deep associations, fat as a way of discarding or insulting someone. But if we look at the alternatives, right? Overweight, over which weight? I am exactly the weight of one Casey in the year 2023, precisely at Casey weight, over. The word obese is worse yet because that's a diagnosis. Obese is a medicalized term that makes simple differences in body shape and size which have existed across history into a medical condition, whether or not there is any medical condition present. So we use the word fat and when we talk about discrimination against fat people, we talk about fat phobia. What, what is fat phobia? Fat phobia is a broad range of ways in which fat people are systemically excluded from society. This ranges from about the simplest, least impactful stuff, which is that buying clothes is an entire disaster. 
At no point in my life have I been able to easily walk into a mall or shopping center and purchase something from any store. I buy all of my clothes online at this point because I know where online I can find things that are my style and fit. If I try to go to a store, even a dedicated plus-size clothing store like Lane Bryant or Torrid, what I will find is predominantly things that are meant to make me look like I'm not there. Shirts that are billowy in the middle for no particular reason. Shirts, pants that refuse to fit correctly. And they will charge you way more money than the thin people clothes that are exactly the same cost. If you buy t-shirts from most online retail, re retailers, goodness, that print things on your shirts, you'll find that if you wear larger than an extra large, your clothes cost more for no particular reason. And that's to say nothing of being a person who is fat and has breasts and attempting to buy the appropriate undergarments. Try to buy a bra that doesn't cost $100 if your band size is greater than 38. Now, you can buy clothes online, and this is, as far as problems go, minimal, except the clothes are actually very important. Clothes are very important to me, as you might have guessed. But clothes are very important to people in general. One, because you, you have to wear them to go out in public, right? If you have no clothes, you cannot leave your house. This is a complication. But there are also many specialized kinds of clothes that you need for various activities. One of the places where the hypocrisy of the entire situation becomes very apparent is if you try to buy exercise clothes as a fat person, they will not sell them to you. They barely exist. You will hear over and over again, well, you should go to the gym and get some exercise. In what? <laughs> I remember the first time I realized that I could no longer buy snow pants in my size. I loved skiing and haven't been since. This was 15 years ago. I was much smaller then than I am now, and to this day, snow pants in a size that will fit me, elusive. I haven't tried that hard in a while, but. Sports bras, appropriate clothes for fitness boxing. Nowhere. And that's not to mention all the various fit fitness equipment that is rated for 250 pounds or less. Again, go exercise. Wearing what and with what equipment? This, of course, isn't the end of it. Seating in restaurants, on airplanes, in my office, and the library and all kinds of other places that have narrow seats with arms. If you can sit down at all, it is painful, physically painful. It is also deeply embarrassing. You get on an airplane and if you're me, many of the people walking by are hoping that they don't have to sit next to you. 
because they blame you for the airline's choice of making the seats the size of a child. Nobody is comfortable on an airplane, but to be fat on an airplane is to be simultaneously deeply uncomfortable personally and abruptly a spectacle. All of this impacts your ability to participate in public life. Your friends are going to a restaurant. What kinds of chairs does the restaurant have? And have they made any kind of point of making their aisles pass throughable for a person of size? Can you go on a hike with your friends? Yeah, but you won't be able to wear what they're wearing and that'll feel a little weird and maybe you'll stay home. Are you gonna take that flight? Are you gonna take that trip knowing you have to get through this experience of an airplane and oh, I didn't mention having your fat patted down by the TSA every single time because a belly might just be a bomb. <laughs> there are also the assumptions that people make and they make them out loud about your habits, your health, your participation in particular activities. People feel free to comment in public on what you're eating. This is a kind of broad problem. People have trouble minding their business. But if you are fat and you are eating in public, you have the following choices. You eat a salad, uh, possibly because you like salad, I love salads, and somebody tells you how good you're being. You eat a cheeseburger, and somebody says, you really shouldn't eat that. I don't know you. I am hungry. At some point, these things combined in my life to me sitting on the floor in the Detroit airport, wearing a shirt that just said nope in big letters and eating a cheeseburger at people. <laughs> I was so tired. I had flown across the country. The cheeseburger was all I could find to eat and people kept looking at me and so I kept looking back and taking large bites out of the cheeseburger. This I think is a particularly fun sort of performance art if you can get yourself to the state of, oh, I do not care that allows for performative public eating. <laughs> and if it were just random people, that would be enough, but it isn't. Some of the worst experiences of fat phobia happen in the places you wish they would happen the least, in your doctor's office. Fat people go to the doctor and are diagnosed fat before there is a chance to even find out what might actually be going on. I don't have data as in someone did a study about this, but I have so many anecdotes as to be data. Books full of anecdotes from my life and the lives of my family and friends who are also fat. So much so that the joke is you could go in with a broken leg and be told to eat less and exercise. 
I went to a doctor once with digestive issues and was told to stop eating so much fast food, and at that time, I was not eating any. The doctor wouldn't believe me. You're not that fat because you're eating right. This turns into a resistance to seeing a doctor at all. To getting the kind of primary care that we know has positive health benefits for everyone. But if nobody will listen to your real concerns, and I know people who have had to see two and three doctors to get strep throat diagnosed because the doctor couldn't see anything but their fat body. Well, you start to give up on the whole project. If you're lucky, and I've been profoundly lucky, you find communities that help you find physicians, mental health care providers, physical therapists who will actually treat you like a person while interacting with your body. But on your way there, you are perhaps an 18-year-old with an eating disorder who is told that they can't possibly have an eating disorder because you're fat who is told that you're keeping yourself fat because it makes your dad angry. These are stories about my life. That's me. Before you get there, you are so abused by the medical system that you can't trust your doctor. That you limit the number of things you are willing to talk to the doctor about at all because nobody has taken you seriously before, and why would this person? You combine that with the fact that fat people are less likely to be hired in high-paying positions, more likely to experience discrimination in housing, and more likely to be people who are experiencing other axes of marginalization, right? Stress makes your body hold on to things in a way that having less cortisol doesn't do. The stress of experiencing oppression changes how your body holds on to calories or doesn't. So we have layering oppressions coming out in the medical sphere, in social life, in clothes, and I would be remiss if I didn't note that fat phobia is inexorably linked to colonialism, racism, and specifically anti-blackness. Sabrina Strings, in a book called Fearing the Black Body, writes, the current anti-fat bias in the United States and in much of the West was not born in the medical field. That is to say, this is me, not her. That is to say that it is not that the medical field saw fat people being sick and then said being fat is bad. She goes on, racial scientific literature since at least the 18th century has claimed that fatness was savage and black. The BMI, a thing that your doctor is probably still using, despite the fact that it is meaningless, was constructed around the bodies of 
upper class white Anglo men. That's a terribly specific category of people. Not only that, those men in the early 20th century. You might know that people are much taller now than they were in the early 20th century on the whole, due in part to increased childhood nutrition. Nobody runs around saying that we have an epidemic of tallness. It is possible that people are larger because people are larger. There is a constant stream of wrong body messaging, of you could not possibly be right about what you need to eat, what size your body just is. It could not possibly be the case that you eat a vegetable and take a walk, as I often tell my doctor I do, and are still fat. And the point at which they tell you you are too fat to function is much earlier now than it was before. Because at some point in the 1990s, the medical classification for who counts as overweight and obese dropped significantly overnight. They don't tell you that when they tell you about rising obesity numbers in the United States that they changed the definition so that there would be more of us. Sonia Renee Taylor writes a book called The Body is Not an Apology, which I recommend uh, along with Fearing the Black Body if you want to dig a little more into fatness, body politics, and body liberation. Sonia writes, Racism, sexism, ableism, homo and transphobia, ageism and fatphobia are algorithms created by humans' struggle to make peace with the body. A radical self-love world is a world free from the systems of oppression that make it difficult and sometimes deadly to live in our bodies. Racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia and transphobia, ageism and fatphobia are algorithms created by humans' struggle to make peace with the body. Life is chaotic, bodies perhaps triply so. It is miraculous but difficult to exist in any physical form. If you are lucky, you will eventually become old, and that will affect your body's ability to function as it once did, but it is the most normal thing in the world. People get sick, people die, and this is terrifying to all of us. Our bodies and the bodies of people we love are less in our control than we would like to think, but we have come up with all kinds of things to help us think that we could have control over death, that we could be in charge of if we die. I don't think I have to tell you that we can't be in charge of that. 
But I will tell you that hating ourselves certainly doesn't make it any better. You cannot hate yourself into a smaller body. You cannot hate yourself into a person who eats a vegetable and takes a walk. Trust me, I tried really hard. Diet culture permeates American society. And even though it would like to tell you that it's no longer about dieting or being thin, it's now about wellness and healthy eating. Yeah, I've seen you, Weight Watchers. I've seen you, in fact, since I was about 10 years old, rewriting your program every five to 10 years to look more modern and scientific while being the same fundamental eat this cabbage soup and stop eating anything else experience. People get, and I don't use this word lightly, let me be clear, crazy about food. People get so focused on counting a calorie, paying exact specific attention, so focused that they feel, feel legitimately as though the errant consumption of a cupcake might ruin their whole life. Friends, I love a cupcake, but wow, that is, that is intense. You hear this. Uh, if you work in an office, you probably hear this like once, maybe every other month. It's somebody's birthday, and then there's cake. And while people are getting cake and celebrating that somebody was born and remains alive, someone says, oh no, I'm being good. Or, and I almost hate this one more, they pick up the piece of cake, they go to take a piece, a bite, and they say, I'm being so bad right now. Cake does not have moral value in that way. Morality in food is about before it's in your mouth, right? There are ethics about the growing of the grains and the cultivation of the sugar, real, actual problems. Putting sugar into your mouth does not decrease your worth as a person. It is not a morally bad experience. In fact, it is often a morally good experience because why do we eat birthday cake? To celebrate together. Diet culture would have you believe that food is always and only fuel and that that is the only role it has ever played for humans. I think that you all know that that is not true. I think that your experience as a community, sometimes called the Washington Eating Society, says that you know that eating together is more about together than about any other thing. That we eat for celebration and mourning for connection. That sharing a meal is a really special bonding experience for humans. So diet culture divorces us from our relationship to each other places itself sharply in the middle of our celebrations. It divorces ourselves from our own bodies, too. Teaches us that somebody else is the expert on what we should eat, how we should move, when we should eat. 
if you are awash in diet culture throughout your childhood, as I was, this becomes an inability to hear yourself. A complete and utter lack of capacity to tell when you are hungry because you have pushed through being hungry because someone else said you should for so long. I was a 15-year-old who made my boyfriend ration cubes of cheese to me during the school day. I was real messed up, be real clear about that. But I got that from somewhere. The idea that someone else needed to be in charge. I am lucky that I discovered fat acceptance and fat liberation early. I am lucky that I read Marianne Kirby and Kate Harding and all of these people who are actually my friends now, which is wild. That I read them early, that I learned from Kate and Marianne specifically about the fantasy of being thin. The idea that there is some other you that you will get to be once you stop being fat. I learned to live my life and then I learned to listen to myself. I took intuitive eating courses with Michelle Allison, a Toronto-based dietitian, learning with others how to remember what I liked, what felt good to eat, and how I would know if I was hungry or just bored. The new American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines, which came out this week, suggest aggressive treatment for childhood obesity. This aggressive treatment includes diet pills and weight loss surgery for 12-year-olds. I can tell you from experience where that goes. I can tell you also from studies where that goes. I can tell you from anecdotes piled to the ceiling where that goes. It is nowhere good. I took a diet pill for the first time when I was nine. I, oh, that's a hell of a thing to tell people. I took a diet pill for the first time when I was nine. I got recommended weight loss surgery for the first time when I was 16. Weight loss surgery, which, by the way, usually fails after two years. Diet pills, which cause your metabolism to do all kinds of wild stuff. And it is quite something to see and read on the internet the same people who are so opposed to trans healthcare for children being celebratory about these new recommendations. Because, God forbid, we let kids delay puberty, but we'd better give them surgery to make sure they don't grow up fat. Some priorities. I've been talking for a long time, so let me wrap myself up here. There are three related but distinct concepts around what else you can do in relationship to your body. There is body positivity, which you have probably heard about in the public sphere. 
I have problems with body positivity for a number of reasons. First, positivity is a pretty lackluster attachment to anything at all. But body positivity always winds up being a watered down version of fat politics and fat liberation. It always winds up focused on someone who wears an extra large, someone who wears a size 12, not someone who wears a size 30, not someone who wears a 4X. It is always about only clothes and dating and never about medical care or airplanes or real access. Body positivity is an entryway. But if you stop there, you're just standing in the door, getting in the way. Body love is a pretty good building on that. But like Jess Baker noted in our reading, love is a hard standard to set for people with their own bodies. And it can get really, really painful to be the person who is identified as loving your body and then not love your body for a day two days, a week, a year. That sets too high of a standard to be reasonable. So we go to body liberation, or what I prefer to call fat liberation. We look at that, the people who are most impacted by cultural fat phobia are fatter people fatter people with other marginalizations in particular. And we realize that when it is okay, when it is expected and understood and cared for to be someone who doesn't fit in the airline seats or people look at and see illness, whether or not it's there. We realize that when the people most affected are included before they've had to ask, then everybody fits. If the chairs are good for someone who wears a size 34, if the chairs are rated so that someone who weighs five, 600 pounds can sit in them, then anybody can sit in them. If you sell clothes big enough for the fattest people you can imagine, you sell clothes big enough for everybody, because everything can be made smaller, but it's much harder to make things bigger. If you treat the people you are most conditioned to see as having a wrong body, as if they are people, experts on their own experience, you make space for everybody else to be freer. But before you do that, you do the right thing. So however the word fat makes you feel, however you're feeling in your body today, whatever came up is coming up. Your body's okay. It's fine. Exactly how it is. It may not be your favorite way your body has ever been. It might have challenges that your body didn't used to have, but it deserves care. It deserves kindness. It deserves space in the world to move around, to be clothed and fed, not just 
so that you can stay alive, but so that you can thrive. As you are, without changing a thing. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. And as I am known to say after many of your platforms, wow. In a few minutes, we'll have our community sharing time when you can write into the chat or share in person about what resonated with you in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at WES that the platform brings to mind. The name of this song is Strong Enough, My Hands Are by Leah.
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates with our personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you're here in person, you can come to the microphone here on the floor and please keep your comments brief so that others may also share. And I will start by reading some comments in Zoom. All right, so let us see. <clears throat> Denise, sorry, excuse me, Selena Larson says, a lot of feelings came up for me today. I am a survivor of anorexia and bulimia, and it is still very difficult to love myself and my body. I appreciated the reading and the platform today. Thank you for the content recommendations as well. It is a journey many of us are on, and I love ending on the note of everyone fits. Robin says, this year I joined a group that has been pretty life-changing. It is an anti-diet group. We have spent about four months retraining our brains against diet culture. We're eating when we want to eat. We are eating what we want to eat. We're allowing our bodies to direct us. It's been a wonderful experience to just not be in an accepting, to be not just in an accepting space, but to realize how invasive crappy diet culture is. Cynthia Goodman says, wow, great fat platform in the best sense of the word. <laughs> Great fat platform. I've also struggled with these issues most of my life and really appreciate the way Casey has addressed this topic. Barbara Nathanson, very powerful and enlightening talk, made me think of my own personal biases and the messages that I learned growing up. Paul says it was eye-opening to hear about the humiliations inflicted on plus-size people, but as a thin person who had a heart attack early, let me ask all, however you feel about your body to learn about and avoid heart disease and diabetes. Lots of uh, interactions, reactions, things people are thinking about. Um, so we have several people in the hall who would like to comment. Please begin by saying your name and if you'd like to share your pronouns and please keep your comments brief so that others have a chance to share. Come on up to the Mike, and you can remove your mask. Hi, I'm Sonia. My pronouns are she and her, and I've been fat my entire life. Um, fortunately for me, for reasons that I can explain outside of this context, I've always had the intuitive understanding that the problem with this didn't have anything to do with me but was rather a problem with the world. Um, that is very lucky for me, I will say. Um, and I have spent a huge amount of time working with other people um, 
about their own feelings about their bodies and their feelings about my body and, you know, stuff like that. I've been committed to fat liberation for a really long time. And the thing that I really hope that some of you will get a better grasp of as a result of today's platform is what a colossal waste of time and energy this all is. Um, I mean, if you think about it, think about the number of hours that the average person, especially the average person who was identified female at birth, spends thinking about their body, their diet, what they're eating, and how other people see them, and what they might be able to do with that time if they were not spending so much time on that. It's oppression. Thank you. <laughs> So my name is Peter Bishop, uh, he, his, him. Um, <clears throat> there are so many things that uh, I would like to be saying that would take way too long. So I'm working really hard to stay close to a, a point that I actually want to make. And that is that here we are at the Washington Ethical Society. It's not unusual for us to like to talk about ethical issues. However, what we say to each other about it is that you make up your ethical choices. You create your ethical life. We, each of us, think of ourselves as being ethical, but no one tells us what the rules are. And that is, I believe, very strongly correct. And one of the things about this particular platform is there was a landmine right in front of KC. And she, he, they, I'm sorry, they, I've struggled with the pronouns, sorry. They uh, avoided stepping on the landmine, and that is not easy. I just want to emphasize that, that, um, you know, here I am. I am, you know, a white male, not fat, although I struggle with working on staying as thin as I am. And as a ballet student, uh, I when I'm explaining to my grandchildren, uh, the ballet class is actually a weight loss program. You get in a leotard, you stand in front of a mirror and exercise very hard. And that is the weight loss program, okay? And, and they say, so why do you need a weight loss program? I say, well, I think I need to lose weight. I, need, I, I said, I'm fat. And all of a sudden, my son says, no, you can't say fat. Okay. <laughs> all right. But anyway, so all right, I've gone on long enough. But Casey did a great job of not raising this point in a way that, so we, we had a, someone from, who suffers from anorexia saying, yes, this is a great platform. Thank you. Uh, Jeff Mihal here. Uh, you know, Casey, I can't speak to the experience of buying brassiers. All right, so, but um, I have a similar problem uh, trying to find fashion. 
Uh, I take a size 44, uh, 32 inseam in case somebody wants to buy clothing for me because I need to revamp my wardrobe. But if I go to the Macy's up there in Wheaton, they don't have anything above a 40. You might, you might see the odd pair of jeans or dress slacks that are a 42, but nothing above. And you ask the salespeople, do you have anything in a 44? And it's like, well, you lost a little weight, you could shop here. And I just would say to the, somebody like that, I'm never shopping at your store again. Uh, and I haven't. Um, the other thing I would say, and I'll make it really quick, is that uh, transportation, uh, that's one of the nice things about Amtrak. They don't have those little things on the side of the seat, and there's enough leg room, and you can, you can recline your seat without bashing the knees of the person in back of you. Um, plus the fact the food is so horrible on Amtrak, you wouldn't want to eat anyway. Hi, I'm Kao, she, her. Uh, one of the things that I thought you raised that was so important was the relationship with the medical community. And one point I would add is that for many years of my life, I was not only obese, but I was morbidly obese. Um, and I was like, really? <laughs> would you ever say to somebody, you are morbidly cancerous? <laughs> right? Or you are morbidly whatever other condition you want to put? I mean, it's like, that is the rudest thing I had ever heard. I was like, you cross out that morbid on my, my chart. I don't accept that. You can call me obese, but don't you be putting that morbid thing. Um, and the doctor was like, well, that's a medical term. And I was like, that medical term should be called into question. I'm calling it into question. I'm refusing it. Uh, and then I was teaching a fat liberation class. And I had a student who was really trying very hard to accept the notion of embracing the obese. And when I got her paper, I've just, it was such a joy because every time she wrote obese, she spelled it O-B-E-A-S-T. <laughs> And so I had wrote this wonderful little ode to her about how I was the obese. <laughs> and it was just so much, I mean, it was, so I, I think there, there is really important work to do here. Uh, one other thing I would say is there definitely needs to be a collection of stories called Fat on a Plane. Um, and what I would add, like I remember being on a plane where I could not put the tray down. So when they came to bring that food, the food that maybe you don't even want to eat, I had to put my food on the floor. I couldn't, I couldn't put it on the tray. And I had to ask the person next to me, would you mind to reach down to get me that thing on the floor so that I can eat it? Would you, because I couldn't also reach down to get there. And I could see people around me judging me like, yeah, she should be fed like a dog, right? That her food should be on the floor. And I thought, if I was a pregnant woman, how many accommodations would you have made for me? Also, when you're walking in and you're walking down and people are looking at you like, oh, I so hope that that one is not next to me. If I had been a tall man and you had thought, that's a linebacker. I hope I have named the correct position. Um, 
then I would have had a reason to be large, right? I would have, it would have been deemed appropriate for me to be big and you would have made room for me and been like, maybe I get an autograph. Uh, so I think there's so much for fat on the plane. Um, so thank you so much. You did a marvelous uh, effort with this. And I see that it, to me it has application for all relationships with our body, not just our weight, but also our size, our age, everything. I mean, I, I, our age, everything else. Okay. I'm Laura, she, her. This is really hard. Your platform touched me a lot because most of the things that you talked about are things that I experience at the other end of the continuum. I can't sit in that chair. That's why I have this. And it goes on Amtrak with me. It goes on a bus with me. It goes to your house with me because there's no chair or couch that fits me. I go into a store. Not only do I not find anything that fits me, this on one of you would be up to here not down to there. My coat is down to there, and it should be up to here. I have to roll up every sleeve. In many ways, I'm invisible when you're not. And one of those invisibility circumstances is when I go into a women's store looking for something to wear. And that saleswoman comes up to me and says, oh, you're so cute. Or, oh, you're adorable. Oh, you're so precious. Or somebody standing in line in back of me goes through that litany as well. And for years I've been trying to figure out, what do I say to them that makes them understand that that is insulting, that I am not five anymore, that I, I am an adult. I am a person who wants to be seen as an adult. When I was 16, I gained a lot of weight. I weighed 120. Now, for a lot of you, that doesn't seem like much. But for every pound I gained, that was like five pounds for any of you. My dad was really worried. He went to his father-in-law, who was a doctor, who gave him diet pills to give me. I guess they were amphetamines. Is that what you get? My whole body <laughs> went crazy. I couldn't stop shaking. So I finally went off them. And what I did to lose all that weight was I starved myself for a year because I didn't want to go to college looking like that. Years later, my daughter found a picture of me with my siblings and said, Mom, is that when you were pregnant with me? No, that was when I was 16 and weighed 120. I know it's not 
exactly the same as what you all experience. <laughs> Bra size, 70 bucks. Because if you are less than a 32, and I'm a 28, you pay 70, 75 bucks. And did you know, ladies, that your bra size, the cup size, depends on this, not this? So I wear a 30 triple D. Would you believe it? And so for those of you who know petite people, Think about that. I go to a grocery store and I climb to reach the top shelf. Or I have to ask for somebody's arm to do it for me. Because there isn't anything at the end of that row to help me reach from the floor. Almost nothing fits me. But I appreciate what you said, so so that I can appreciate and fit me. Thanks. I am Shayla Sheher. I just wanted to add, chime in. Casey, thank you so much for this platform. It really resonated with me. Um, you know, I, I, my mom was like smaller than me, but she always, you know, was concerned with her weight and my weight. And, you know, it's passing down from generation to generation. I'm, you know, feel like I don't want to be in a picture, you know, and, and um, like we're trying to get the kids to do a video to promote West or something. And they don't want to be in. And it's like, I don't know if it's just image, you know, body image and just the whole society judging, especially, you know, women. Um, you know, it's just hard. It's hard. So thank you so much for addressing this issue. Clearly touched people very deeply. I'm going to take a quick look to see if there are a couple additional comments in Zoom. And I'll just read those before we move on. Maceo says, I can see space at West for a group that supports people who are fat or may want to support body positivity. Um, please email me at maceot at ethicalsociety.org if you want to help create this space. And uh, Robin says, Sonia preaching today, <laughs> love it. Bill Wilson says, is the problem that the appearance focus of being fat distracts from legitimate health issues? And that whole many, many topics uh, brought about with this platform. So thank you all to those who shared their thoughts and attention. Share the plate this month, just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. And here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. And this month, we're sharing half of the offering with No Lose, a diverse, vibrant community of fat, queer, and trans folks and their allies with a shared commitment to intersectional anti-oppression ideology and action,
seeking to end the oppression of fat people. Its name reflects its origin as the National Organization of Lesbians of Size, but it has expanded its scope to include all genders, and its slogan is, the revolution just got bigger. So let's take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. And for those who are able to respond, we offer several options. As noted on the screen, the number to give by text is 202-335-1885. And you can donate online via tiny slash, sorry, tiny.cc slash westgives, or by clicking on give on our website ethicalsociety.org. You can place cash or a check in the basket at the back of the hall on your way out. And you can always send us a check by mail. We even know what to do with those. Thank you for your generosity and we'll now receive your gifts and the gift of music. Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together, staff members Andara Miles, Robin Kravitz, and Maceo Thomas, interim music coordinator Liam Morris, and our platform production team, the tech team members. Yay, tech team! Slide artists, Zoom chat usher, and in-person greeters, and you'll see all their names on the closing credits. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and on the patio, or for virtual coffee hour via Zoom. First, though, I want to mention a few things coming up in the life of our community. Are you looking for an experience that will change your life? 
Well, we have lots of them, but this is Join the West and Global Connections 2023 delegation traveling to El Rodeo, our sister community in El Salvador. This is our 14th year of accompanying our friends in friendship and solidarity. Each annual delegation involves cross-cultural social justice work, cross-cultural and social, social justice work, exploring lush green hills and getting to know the amazing people of El Rodeo in El Salvador. Delegation dates this year are from June 21st to July 3rd and applications are being accepted now. For more information, please contact Peggy Gates. Gates is spelled G-O-E-T-Z and you can find Peggy's contact information in the West uh, in the members area of ethicalsociety.org. You can also search for Global Connections on the West website. The website has been updated with lots of good information. West will also be starting some new tie or together in exploration groups. Um, these small groups of West members and friends who meet once a month to dig deeper into our monthly themes. Um, they're a great way to get to know people. Uh, get in touch with membership coordinator Maceo Thomas to sign up or get more information. An opportunity to put our ethics into action is the Share the Warmth campaign to collect clothing, all new and lightly used clothing, but especially winter clothing like coats and sweatshirts and hats and gloves for immigrants and DC residents. Clean, bagged, and labeled donations can be dropped off in the library here after platform or in the bins at the back of the Cedar Lane UU Church or on the porch of Ross Wells and Beth Baker's home in Tacoma Park. Thank you in advance for your generosity and support, supporting migrants and others in need. And that is it for announcements. Um, you can always find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar pages of Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. And thank you all for being a part of Platform Today, whether in person, via Zoom, or watching later. And I invite you to sing together our song of the month, Will You Come Home? Will you come home? Will you come home? Will you come home to your heart? Will you come home? Will you come home? Will you come home to your own heart? Will you come
So thank you um, for being a part of Platform today. Uh, last few reminders before we leave. If you're new to our community, please send an email to Maceo, our membership coordinator, and introduce yourself. Maceo T at ethicalsociety.org. And for those of you who wish to socialize online, to reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment. In the natural world, enjoy in our bodies exactly as they are. Again, thank you for today joining today's platform, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.